0: I just wanted to start by uh, thanking you as a church for giving me and Rohan uh, next week the opportunity to preach. We planned out these next two sermons together, and it's our prayer that you all benefit from them. We'll be looking at Psalm 1 this week, and then Rohan will preach on Psalm 2 the next week. They're intimately connected, these Psalms. They share a lot of the same themes and a lot of the same vocabulary, actually. So I just thought we'd read both of them this week. Um... So that will come up on the screen behind me. So Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire, and the peoples plot in vain? (coughs) The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. These two psalms introduce two grand themes, not only to the psalms but also to the whole of scripture, the word of God and the son of God the Word of God and the Son of God. You might notice there are lots of connections between these two psalms. They share a lot of language. Look at how Psalm 1 begins with the word blessed, and Psalm 2 finishes with the word blessed. Both of these psalms have the same concern. They're both interested in teaching us about our spiritual health now, as we live, and our ultimate future. They both teach us that there are two ways to live, one of which receives God's blessing On the other, leads to eternal judgment. In Psalm 1, the deciding factor is how you respond to God's word, whether you meditate on his word or you listen to the advice of the wicked. In Psalm 2, the deciding factor is how you respond to God's son. Blessed are all who take refuge in him, in God's son. The New Testament teaches us that these are not two checkboxes to tick, In fact, God's Word and God's Son are united in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's Word made flesh, as it says in John 1, and Jesus is God's Son eternally reigning. Both of these Psalms are firstly about Jesus before they're about us. That's the first point I want to make today. These Psalms are about Jesus first and then his people. I think when we read the Psalms, it's important. For us to consider who is speaking and who is being spoken about. If you like listening to choirs and sung music, you'll notice that some pieces are solos. Others are done as a group of people and others are a mixture of the two. And the Psalms are a bit like that. If Jesus and his people are a choir, then some of the Psalms are solos and others are done as a group. Take Psalm 51, for example, like we did last week. It says, I know my transgressions. I was born sinful. Those are things that are only proper for us as Jesus' people to sing. Jesus has no sin. He wasn't born in sin. He has no transgression. On the other hand, some portions of the Psalms are only appropriate for Jesus. Think about Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Peter, the apostle of the New Testament, points out that this, this can't have been about David who wrote it because he died and rotted He did see corruption, but instead it's about Jesus who was raised to life after three days. The psalm we read today, Psalm 1, is one where Jesus is a lead singer is firstly in the first instance about him, but then through God's grace we sort of join in. When Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man, who is this blessed man? Firstly, it is Jesus, but because we are united to him, through faith, it becomes about us too. So that's the first sort of point Jesus is a blessed man. If we read the description of this blessed man in the psalm, it doesn't quite work for us to immediately put ourselves um, in those shoes. Do we avoid walking in step with the wicked? Mostly, maybe, but not all the time. Do we delight in the law of the Lord? We may do. Do we meditate on it day and night? Less likely. Perhaps most strikingly, do we prosper in everything we do, as it says in verse 3. It's very hard to apply a description like that to ourselves. In the first instance then, the best match for who this person is, is Jesus himself. He's the one who's never walked in step with the wicked. The devil never managed to deceive him. He didn't blindly go along with the messages of the world around him. He didn't follow the same values of the world. He had a perfect human mind that was shaped entirely by God's word and not by the world around him. He was perfectly obedient to his father. Jesus was willing to obey God his father even to the point of death on the cruel cross. That's what it's like to be this blessed man in Psalm 1 whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Jesus perfectly obeyed God's will as revealed in the scriptures. The scriptures were his nourishment. He says in John 4, my my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. You might have thought that Jesus, since, since he has a divine nature and is God in person, might, uh, might act above the rules. But everything Jesus did, he did in obedience to his Father and in accordance with the scriptures. He says this himself in Mark 14. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, goes as it is written of him as it's written in the Scriptures. Philippians 2 says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count a quality of God something to be grasped, but humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And because of Jesus' perfect obedience to God his Father, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers everything jesus accomplished was fruitful even his death resulted in the salvation of uncountably many people you can't get more fruitful than that so it's important for us to recognize that the psalm is firstly talking about jesus partly because it's humbling and also because it's assuring it might be very easy for us to read ourselves as this main character and think and get a bit puffed up maybe thinking like <laughs> Ah, yes, look how I've not walked in step with the wicked this week. Or look how much I've delighted in God's word, not like these other folks. It's also assuring for us because we're not saved by our perfect obedience or our ability to match up with the description of the blessed man. We're right with God and we're saved because of Jesus' obedience. Profoundly assuring. If it was down to us to make ourselves this fruitful tree, then we'd be lost. But this blessing is ours because of Jesus Christ. Through him we are blessed people. The psalm talks about what it's like to live the blessed life. Think about the, the words used to describe the tree. It's planted. It's firm. It's got a sure foundation. It's nourished by streams of water. It's always healthy. It's fruitful. But notice what comes first in the psalm. The person who leads the blessed life Is someone who is spiritually healthy. They've turned away from the way of the wicked and they delight in God's law, in God's word. I say this, I said before that this is in its first instance about Jesus, but he makes it true of us too. It's important to remember that if we're saved by Jesus, then we're a regenerate people, is the theological term. Regenerate meaning we're given a new heart. Uh, Our minds, our wills, our consciences, and our loves and desires are made healthy when we receive salvation in true faith. We wouldn't be able to turn away from evil by ourselves if it was completely down to us. We wouldn't delight in God's law. Ephesians 2 says that we're spiritually dead before we're saved. But through Jesus, we're made into spiritually healthy people because we're connected to him. That why I chose John 15 as our other reading today, just to make that connection clear. Jesus says to his disciples there, you can do nothing without me. We're not sper- we're not spiritually healthy in and of ourselves. We can't get this blessed life by ourselves. But Jesus says, Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. It's like we're little twigs on the on the tree in Psalm 1. Jesus is the, the healthy strong trunk, the fruitful main plant. But we're we're little branches attached to him, That's why we're healthy too. Because Jesus is spiritually alive and healthy, so are we. I think that's the the, the logic we need to have in our minds as we read this. We don't jump immediately uh, in this psalm to recognising ourselves as the main character. We start off recognising that Jesus is the one who's spiritually healthy in and of himself. He's the one who's able... Uh, Of himself to turn away from evil. But then we arrive at us if we're believers. We're people whose hearts, wills, minds, consciences, and affections are changed by Jesus. People who are connected spiritually to Jesus, who are healthy because he's healthy. So, how then does someone instruct us if we're these uh, uh, spiritually healthy people? I think it gives us. Two big applications. There's a warning for us that we shouldn't join in with the world and with sin. And there's an encouragement to us that God's word will make us very fruitful. So, the first thing is this warning not to join in with the wicked. First thing that we notice about this, uh, this blessed person in Psalm 1 is, what, is not so much what they do, but what they don't do. It says they do not walk in step with the wicked. There's another translation that's maybe slightly better than this one here, and it says he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. It's meaning that he doesn't believe what the world believes. The counsel of the wicked is the advice or the wisdom that the world would suggest. And the blessed people don't take it. The blessed people meditate on and listen to God's wisdom through his word rather than the wisdom of the world. Secondly, it says that Uh, They don't stand in the way that sinners take. Someone's way here means the the way they behave, their walk of life. My way is what I do and how I go about doing it. And the people with a blessed life don't behave the way the world behaves. And thirdly, they don't act like they belong in the world. Verse 1 says the blessed uh, one doesn't sit in the company of mockers. You, you might have noticed a, a progression in that verse. It's gone from uh, walking in step with the wicked to standing in the way of sinners to sitting in the company of mockers. By the time you're sat down somewhere, you're settled there. This part is speaking of belonging. God's people know that they belong to God and not to the world. So the blessed people don't believe what the world believes. They don't behave the way the world behaves, and they don't belong to the world. What this is saying to us is that we need to consciously turn away from the ways that the world uh, suggests to us to do, and we need to consciously turn towards God's word. Uh, Many times this will feel like swimming against the tide in our our popular culture. You'll notice in verse 1 that there's one blessed man who is turning away from a plurality of sinners, mockers and wicked, that he's the odd one out. Now to be clear, I, I don't think he's saying that uh, as Christians, we need to be a private or closed community, We know that we're to be publicly unashamed of the gospel, We're to be happy to stand by it, confident that the gospel works. We're not to be afraid to show gospel kindness to anyone in our society. In other words, it's not being absent from society, but it's telling us to guard ourselves against its influence. Got to make sure that God's word is the primary primary influence on your beliefs and your behavior. I had a friend from Union. We were at church and we did Christian union together. But at some point in his life, the major influence on him became the world rather than the Bible. And his behavior and his beliefs ended up being just the same as anyone who doesn't believe. That's what it's like to not guard yourself or to not turn away from the world. The ways of the world can be very tempting. You might have a strong desire for sex, but you're not married yet. You might be in a group of friends where you know the, the sort of chat you have is wrong or the sort of things you do are wrong. Maybe someone's hurt you and the world's advice You or the advice you're hearing to you is to get them back. But Psalm 1 gives us, uh, but but God's people, sorry, are to turn away from the world and to turn towards God. Psalm 1 gives us two reasons to avoid taking part in the ways of the world. Firstly, the people who act in those ways are way less secure and strong than they look, there's no security with the wicked. Listen to Psalm uh, 73. There's some overlap in the thinking here in this Psalm. It says, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. The writer says that his, his steps have nearly slipped. He nearly had a crisis of faith because he saw the prosperity of wicked people. They've got no pangs. They're not in trouble like the rest of us are. I'm sure lots of us find this to be something we can sympathize with. We know that we're all, we're all sinners. None of us are perfect. But some people commit such wickedness and get away with it or even prosper because of it. It's difficult not to be frustrated and saddened by that. It can be discouraging for our faith sometimes when we feel that we're not doing as well as people who are rebelling against God. The writer in Psalm 73 says, All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. It can seem pointless to keep the faith if even people who are persecuting Christians are prospering. Now listen to Psalm 1, verses 4 and 5. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The lots of people who rebel against God might look strong. And it might look strong to be with the world and to belong there. It's actually like being chaff. Chaff is like dust. The wind, the wind blows in it and it's gone. And that's the position you're in if if you're against God today. You will not stand in the judgment. Verse 5 is quite harrowing, isn't it? God will judge the world, and he will hold everyone accountable for their actions. Nothing will be missed. And he will dish out an eternal sentence for it. That's what happens if you don't take refuge in Jesus, as it says in Psalm 2. If you don't go to him to save you. If you reject God... And his son and his word, it won't go well. So it's, te- it's tempting to follow the ways of the world, isn't it? For pleasure, for freedom, to actualize your desires. But ultimately, we need to stick close to Jesus and his words for any hope in that day of judgment. So that's the wa- that's the warning for us to avoid the ways of the world, to be on your guard, so that the wisdom of the world doesn't take the place of God's word in your heart. The other application of this psalm is a positive encouragement that God's word will make you very fruitful and will keep you safe. There is delight to be found in God's word. That's the third point encouragement delight in God's powerful word. We just uh, we just talked about what the blessed one doesn't do. now this is what he does. verses two and three says, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Instead of listening to the world, the blessed one delights in the law of the Lord. And for us, when it, when it talks about the law of the Lord in this passage, what we should understand it to be talking about is the whole of God's word, both the New Testament and the old. If we really love Jesus, we will love his word, we'll love his book. It's perhaps the case sometimes that we're very able to talk at length about how important the Bible is, but it might be harder to articulate how, how lovely it is. It's a source of delight and comfort and joy for the blessed man in Psalm 1. And as a result of that delight, the blessed one meditates. On God's word day and night. I think the way we use the word meditate now sort of obscures its actual meaning. I, I think of like clearing the mind, breathing deeply and humming in some ritual. But when it talks about meditation here, it's it's talking about thinking deeply about God's word, about really focusing your thoughts on it. I heard someone say that if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate on God's word. When you're worried about something, it, it turns over and over in your head, doesn't it? You can't stop thinking about it. You think about it from every angle. But in meditating on God's Word, rather than thinking about a problem, you're thinking about what it says, what God's Word says. It means to really, really digest it. And that's the, that's the wisdom it gives us for reading the Bible, to take time to think about it and digest it. Here's an experience I've had, I'm sure you may have had it as well, that sometimes we'll read the Bible because we know it's important and it's our habit in the morning or the evening. But we'll get to the end of the page and I can't remember what it's just said. But Psalm 1 instructs us that we should should chew it over and think about it deeply. This might practically change the way that you read your Bible. I tried this Bible in a year plan that... Um, takes you through like four, like a chapter from four different books each day, and it was too much for me. By the time I'd read the fourth chapter of the fourth book, I'd forgotten what the first said. I found it better to read a chapter at a time, and to think hard about it. For some of us, it might mean changing some of our priorities. Our lives are often very busy, but we we do make time for the things that are important, don't we? It wouldn't be right, would it, if someone said to you they, they didn't have time to read uh, and digest the Bible, but they've also got six podcasts on the go every day. might change our priorities with our children. I'm, I'm not a parent, but I can guarantee that your children will really benefit from any time you take to read the Bible with them and to discuss it with them. In this psalm, God promises to greatly bless us as we do that, as we delight in his word and make it our priority. So God God makes his people fruitful through his word is one of the promises. Listen to the description of the tree in verse 3. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The tree is planted by streams of water. It's continually fed and watered. Regardless of the weather, it doesn't rely on the rain. Planted talks of stability and streams talk of nourishment. Spiritually speaking, God's word keeps you stable and healthy. We know we need to eat good food and to exercise to keep our bodies healthy. But our souls and our minds are nourished and kept healthy through God's word also says that it yields its fruit in season the tree is fruitful we might think sometimes about how we can develop and grow as Christians how can how can I get more of those fruits of the spirit of love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness self-control how can I be more like Jesus this psalm says that those things will come naturally as we delight in and depend on God's word. Now we're, we're not being we're not being told that we need to go and make ourselves healthy and fruitful spiritually. We're being promised by God that abiding in Christ and His Word will inevitably bring about that effect. We can simply trust God that He will make us grow more and more like Christ as we keep chewing on His words, paying attention to it, digesting it. as well as individually, thinking as a church and as a community, how will the church keep growing steady and keep developing? We might first think in sort of business terms like strategy and vision and good management. But really, regardless of how it looks outwardly, the church will do well in God's eyes and will be fruitful as far as we depend on God's word and keeping it a priority, <clears throat> keeping it the priority really. And well, the psalm finishes with talking talking about the ultimate blessing in the end for those who take refuge in God's son and delight in his word. God keeps his people eternally safe through his word. Listen to verse 5 and 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. It says that the wicked will not stand in the judgment but the implication is that God's people will. If you've taken refuge in Jesus, then when God comes on that day of judgment, he will have no condemnation for you. He will not have a guilty verdict for you. All of your sins, all the things you're ashamed of, will not be counted against you. It will be as if it never happened. In fact, this is is a present experience Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say there will be no condemnation, but there is no condemnation. If we have taken refuge in Jesus, we have nothing to fear from the day of judgment. The big problem in our life, our rebellion against God and our sin has been dealt with, and it's not counted against us. In fact, the psalm says that we'll be counted in The assembly of the righteous is what it says. Not only not guilty, but perfectly righteous in God's eyes. And what that results in for us as believers is infinite, everlasting joy that will never get boring and will never be taken away from us. We will rejoice forever in true love for God and true love for each other. And until that day comes, as it says in verse 6, The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. He keeps us safe and he keeps us growing through his word. So that's Psalm 1. Firstly, it's about Jesus and then about us. We've got to turn away from the ways of the world and turn towards God's word. And we can trust God's promise that he will make us fruitful and grow in his word.